0: And we begin with, good day,
1: sir. <laughs> Geeks come in all shapes and sizes, um, and that uh, they come into all kinds of things. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more about the Satanic Panic. By the scholar Gary Gygax. Well, wait, hold on. I said good day, sir. Not defending Roman slavery by any no, stretch, by- but. God, that's bad. Let them vote. Fuck off. When <laughs> historians, and especially British historians, yeah. want to get cute. Oh, it's, it's in there. Uh, okay. it, it is not worth the journey.
0: California, and uh, just yesterday, as I was taking my son to his daycare, because uh, I had the week off, uh, because my district gives us a whole week for President's Day, President's Week, whatever, um, as I was taking him to daycare in the morning, uh, um, he in the back seat started just kind of nonsense singing. And what was coming out of his, the the, the syllables he, he landed on were kalakula, 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 kal. And uh, as I was getting him out of the car, I said to him, you know, when you do that, you sound like a Finn. <laughs> and he said, what? I said, that sounds like Finnish.
1: You're teaching yourself
0: racism. Well, no, it's
1: that's the language. I know how you feel about the Finns.
0: Yeah, well, yes, there is that. But I said it to him with a <laughs> smile. Okay. I'm not teaching him my prejudice against the Finns. I'm just oh. telling him he sounds like a Finn.
1: Sound like a goddamn
0: together No, you know what? It's not the Sami people I have a problem I know,
1: with. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sound like a motherfucking Frisian.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you sue me bastard.
0: Um <laughs> And it's actually just one extended clan of <laughs> Finns that I really have a problem with um
1: but uh, specific racism just it's almost... specific.
0: well it's not even yeah. no it's one family it's, yeah anyway um
1: so your son comes out so, so like my a son finn.
0: Is, is making these noises and i and i told him you sound like a finn and he said what what is that and i said well you know finland is a country and they speak finnish and that sounds like that language and you know i go to unbuckle him out of his car seat and whatever and he gets down and he looks at me with this quizzical look on his face and he says so that sounds like the fish people i said no not fish fins two n's finland oh okay and then we went to school with no with no further anything about that but the fish people you 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 didn't meet the woman that daddy was married to before your mommy but you're not far off (laughs) um and so again it's not really about the fins it's just about one family so anyway how about you (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I'm Damien Harmony, and I hate Swedes. No, uh, so I don't. I, some of my best friends fucking
0: are fucking <laughs>
1: Rude. Oh, no, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin and a high school U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and uh today, um, my my children, they, you know, how they get to pick a meal every week. That
0: yeah, they're gonna yeah, 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 yeah.
1: My daughter wanted to make everything soup, which is out of the Heroes Feast uh, cookbook for D&D mm-hmm. nerds. Okay. Um, and it's something that halflings cook and let stew all day in the hopes that a visitor will come by. That's part of the, okay. uh, the lore Background. behind the story, right. right? Or behind yeah. the uh, the recipe. I walked downstairs because I helped my son do something. I walked downstairs because she's cooking. Like She's, yeah. she's yeah, yeah. 10. She can do all the cooking herself now, uh, as my children do. And mm-hmm. um she's you know chopping leeks and you know curating this and just all kinds mm-hmm. of wacky. Um and I come downstairs, I'm like, oh my God, it smells amazing. And she's like, I can't tell. I was like, walk outside and then walk back inside. And she does. She's like, Oh, it smells great. I'm like, doesn't it smell like three adventurers are about to show up? Nice. It was my house smelled like adventurers were coming.
0: Very cool, I yeah. suppose that's better than you have smelling like adventurers had just arrived because yes. that would be the smell of copper salt, mud, <laughs> yeah, oily leather
1: somebody trying to uh <laughs> express pheromones toward the barmaid, yes,
0: yeah, so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah it's and the just smell. the
1: small dust of Cheetos I don't know yeah
0: <laughs> no that's 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 players, not necessarily ah, adventurers, yeah. but yeah very so, cool. Yeah, I I yeah. kind of I kind of want that recipe because I'm intrigued.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, she had a lot of fun ripping apart the rotisserie chicken that goes into it. So,
0: yeah. Okay, I'm down.
1: Yeah. I like, like. Okay. I taught her cool. where the oysters were. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. yeah. So it's good living. It's good life. Yeah. Uh, your your boy's five. Give him literally just two more years and he can start yeah. cooking. That's I think that's how old she was when she made bangers okay. and smash. All right, which nice. is a dwarven meal that goes on top of the forge and uh, also so. cooks all day. Oh, so good! All right, so yeah, so cool. Tomorrow, oh, cool. William's making my son, uh, my daughter Julia made soup tomorrow. My my son, William, is making a gingerbread, uh, cake for Ooh. us. So should be good. Oh man, yeah,
0: you have the fat guy's attention. Holy cow,
1: <laughs> uh, maybe I'll save you some because I don't really like gingerbread. Um, <laughs> All, really? right. Like, all, all right, all right, cool, cool man. It's it's gonna be a little bit of cannibalism, but you do, you it's fine. So, well played, thank you.
0: Well played. So, not to um, be mad about hey, that one.
1: I got a question for you, yeah. What do you know about Ronald Reagan?
0: <laughs> 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 um, uh, well, um, let's see how, how. Ranty versus historically accurate? Do you want this response to be
1: neither? I just wanted okay. you primed for for what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Did you know that <laughs> what Ronald do I Reagan? Know about Ronald
0: Reagan? How many you know, times have we talked about that? Chuckle. Fuck on this show. Like, I think
1: there are fewer episodes where we don't. Yeah. Than episodes where we do, or it's yeah, pretty based close on to parity. Yeah. yeah,
0: based on our age. Yeah, and and so. life experience. Yeah. All right. So Did you know
1: that he is at once divorced women's best friend and worst enemy. No, it turns out Ronald Reagan is quite often the good guy and bad guy in every story. Um, so tonight we'll be about that <laughs> okay. by way of okay. cartoons. Uh, so in 1969, yep. Governor Ronald Reagan signed into law an important bill, one that he later said was the most regrettable thing he'd ever done. So, you know, it did something good for women. And for no a fault man worse. What's that?
0: No fault divorce. Yes. Oh.
1: And for a man who reflected very little on his long and regrettable career in both film and politics, eh, it's pretty on brand.
0: <laughs> just
1: prove me wrong, children. Yeah. Prove okay. me wrong. yeah no, I,
0: I mean, yeah. No argument. Just, yeah. Ow.
1: I wish there were mummies so that we could revivify him and everyone could <laughs> slap him. Like,
0: Oh, you could make so much money just charging. You
1: You know what you could do? You could eliminate the national debt that he incurred.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you could get pretty close anyway. Yeah. Um,
1: or you could put like, um, like those things that generate electricity off mm. of, off of movement. Oh, there and you Put go. them like inside yeah. his corpse as people yeah, slap just, him around. Yeah, just as people smack him. And yeah. that'll make up for the, the solar panels that he took off the white house. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So, so. It's on brand because the legislation that he signed into law, in fact, was the nation's very first no-fault divorce bill.
0: Okay. Awesome.
1: As a result of this, couples didn't have to fabricate reasons for splitting up. They could just divorce. And it's entirely likely that he was trying to do two things. Write what he'd felt was a wrong done to him, as well as liberate men.
0: Yeah, men who were so terribly, awfully shackled by the institution of marriage prior to that.
1: Yeah, well, um, we'll, we'll go for the first part first then. Okay, uh, yeah. So right. Reagan had been accused of mental cruelty by Jane Wyman in her divorce papers. Mm-hmm. And, and if you peel that back a little bit, you'll find that she actually could have been credibly accused of the same in her efforts to get him to marry her because she reportedly threatened suicide if he didn't move forward with proposing marriage. Then she took a bunch of pills and then uh, when he balked at that, then she banned him from seeing her in the hospital until he barged into her hospital room and didn't leave until they were engaged. So clear cut case of a couple who should have either broken up or gotten married. And that always means they should have broken up.
0: Uh, Yeah. Wow. So
1: they were married from 1941 to 1948 when she filed officially ending their marriage in 1949. And almost as soon as they were married, he began to do all he could to jumpstart his career and elevate himself. And he she often accused him of being a bore and neglectful. Now, this is not without grounding. He recorded an album where he's screeching against Medicare uh, or Mm -hmm. a version of it and communism and playing it at parties. Yeah. Um, But also the two of them had a daughter named Maureen and they adopted a son together, Michael, and they were trying for a third. And their daughter, Christine, was born premature and died the next day in 1947. And unfortunately, statistically, this is often a a reason for divorce. Yeah. Now, Jane Wyman would go on to star in Dallas, Dynasty, and Knott's Landing competitor, Falcon Crest.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: So just just to be sure, she starred in Falcon Crest, the competitor to those. I just occurred to me that it sounds like there's almost a list. Yeah. Um, which was a show about wealthy elites and all the drama that came with it. Mm -hmm. Earl Hamner, the show's creator, saw it as an inversion of the wholesomeness of the Waltons, and she played the female version of J.R. Ewing. The show ran from December 1981 until May of 1990.
0: Funny that. Yeah, huh. Well, Mm, really, 1981 until 1990.
1: 1990. Anyway, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Ronald Reagan. Go on. Go ahead. Sorry. During their marriage, uh, he did all he could do to represent the military and patriotism without actually doing anything of the sort outside of celluloid. He got himself stationed uh, into the provisional task force show unit, which was located in Burbank, which allowed him to continue pumping out mediocre movies like This is the Army. He also produced over 400 training films, pretending at the very thing that his opponent turned running mate actually did. In 1947, Reagan ascended to the head of the SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, And began doing all he could to, quote, keep the labor unions clean, unquote, along with Walt Disney.
0: Mm, Great company there.
1: Yeah, for the government. So as the the head of a union of artists, he was doing all he could to keep it clean on behalf of the government. Blaming all labor conflicts on communists while giving very good lip service to Jeffersonian democracy when called in front of the HUAC. Now, it's 1948 and shortly after uh, that divorce, he meets Nancy Davis, who had been accidentally placed on the communist blacklist. And he used his position as the SAG president to have her name removed from it. They were literally chasing down a different Nancy Davis. Um, No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And the two of them married and had two children, Patty and Ron. Right. So... My math has that he's got four children, a fifth if you count the one who is stillborn. Right. So anyway, uh, he shifted rightward to support Eisenhower. And again, when he supported Nixon, because he saw Medicare as a great threat to American freedom, uh, Mm. you got to keep in mind, we take shit for granted that at that time, most people were begging for. And that's different.
0: So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. All right.
1: Now Nixon lost his bid for the presidency by just a few thousand cemetery votes, and then he lost the race for governor in nineteen sixty two you're right uh, yeah <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> that but that didn't stop notes. him. That's, yeah. He kept, uh, he kept it, trying to get himself in the public limelight, uh, advertising himself as very much a statesman and statement like mm-hmm. uh, becoming kind of the go-to hard nose who would go talk to communists, building his brand that way. Yeah. Um. And so never let people telling you, uh, no, get in the way of your ambition, kids, because Nixon in 1968 would then become president. Yeah. Now, because of Jerry Brown's, Jerry, no, Edmund Brown. I'm sorry. Because of Edmund Brown's and Barry Goldwater's losses, Reagan saw himself as the great right hope, uh, and he ran against. I'm sorry, Pat Brown. Yeah, Edmund yeah. is Jerry Brown. He goes yeah. by Jerry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Pat Brown is the dad. Jerry yeah, Brown. Jerry is also Brown. Edmund Brown. He's yeah. the son. Yes. So. So he he ran against Pat Brown for governor in 1966, and he was banking on white resentment and aggrievement uh, at the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But he was also positioning himself as the not bigot Republican who was only worried about the liberty of private property. And he managed to outperform the last Republican San Francisco mayor, George Christopher. George Christopher had run as a moderate <sighs> Republican and cast Reagan as an extremist, whom he then turned around to help in his bid for governor against Brown
0: Okay, yeah. Well, because party politics is a thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now, Reagan ran as an outsider who didn't want to compromise and do politics as usual. And he painted Pat Brown as one of the responsible, one of the, as the one responsible for the Watts riots and being soft on crime.
0: Okay. Wait. Mm-hmm. Brown. Mm
1: hmm.
0: Responsible for the Watts riots.
1: Yes. Right.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah. And what, yeah, Reagan. okay, Republican Republican politician.
1: So mm-hmm. yeah, okay, that tracks.
0: Yeah. All right, yeah. Okay. And
1: Ronald Reagan had uh, already been in people's eyes uh, for quite some time, given all yeah. of his media exposure, and now he's running for a public office, and he's blaming a incumbent Democrat for a problem that other people had been a, a huge part of. I'm not saying that Brown's policies did not lead to Watts. I I certainly believe mm-hmm. the white supremacy was baked in well (laughs) yeah yeah um and the 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 the, also the governor can't necessarily tell a mayor hey tell your police commissioner to stop being such a shit because the the constituents in la seem to like that yeah if they weren't black so but it is interesting that you have uh, a candidate who is underperforming on the left uh who then gets blamed for a big crisis uh, and then you also have a guy who steps in, who's not going to do politics as usual, who's an outsider and who's mm-hmm. a media figure uh, yeah. who then beats a guy who had called him an extremist. And then that guy lapdogs to him and helps him win. Mm. It feels familiar Boy, in ways that it I just don't, can't name. It
0: don't repeat itself, but it does fucking rhyme, don't mm-hmm.
1: it? All right. So are you thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger? Because I sure am.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, on the gubernatorial level.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, there's another.
0: Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> you know full well what you're doing. Don't uh-huh. don't act that way. Come on now.
1: All right. Now Reagan had tons of television and media exposure. He was a familiar face. And despite having been mostly a mouthpiece and an empty vessel, he defeated the Democratic candidate who was very qualified, who also couldn't shake looking unpleasant and unattractive to the left and to moderates who didn't like the direction that things were going, because Mm. moderates are secretly not. He then turned around and, as governor, raised consumer taxes and excise taxes while lowering property taxes. Now, who does that help? Yeah. (laughs) Could you imagine? The result (laughs) was that most of the Californians who would feel it the most felt the biggest tax hike a governor had ever presided over. He also restricted the gun rights of Californians so that white folks would feel better about the Black Panthers who were following and patrolling the police who'd previously gotten away with a lot of brutality. Yep. And then in 1969, he signed the first no-fault divorce bill into law. In the next 15 years, almost every state would follow suit. Now, I got a lot of the statistics from, it's interesting because you know how you can like wrap a lot of bullshit up in the truth? Mm-hmm. The most reliable source I got on this was from a far right, like anti-divorce rights, uh, activism website, but their shit was impeccable as far as the stats, what they then said about it afterward was hot garbage. So they're not going to go. Oh, well, yeah, because,
0: because there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. You can, you can yeah. quote statistics perfectly yeah, and, and use them in a way that is absolute and utter bullshit.
1: Which yeah. they did. So for their numbers, I, I, I took from them. So from 1960 to 1980, the divorce rate more than doubled from 9.2 divorces per 1,000 married women to 22.6 divorces per 1,000 married women. Okay. Turns out a lot of women wanted the fuck out. Well, um, yeah. In the 1970s, half of all couples who married that decade would later, would later divorce. This also meant that 50% of kids born to married parents saw their parents divorced. Churches responded compassionately to this, too. The United Methodist Church in 1976 stated, quote, In marriages where the partners are, even after thoughtful reconsideration and counsel, estranged beyond reconciliation, we recognize divorce and the right of the divorced persons to remarry and express our concern for the needs of the children of such unions. To this end, we encourage an active accepting and enabling commitment of the church and our society to minister to the needs of divorced persons. Excellent. Yeah. Marriage was now volition, not tradition. Yes. The marriage was seen as a vehicle for self-oriented ethics of romance, intimacy, and fulfillment in the 1970s. I'm doing this because I want to, because it will make me feel good to do this. I'm not doing this because I don't need to do this to feel good and because I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Those now become the guiding principles to getting married instead of... Well, I'd better get married soon. I'm almost 26. Yeah. 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 So soulmatism grew. Not starting a familyism mm-hmm. grew. Yeah. This meant that those who felt that they were in unfulfilling marriages, not with their soulmates after all, felt obligated to divorce. It's not good for me to be in this marriage. I should get divorced. Not just yeah. this, this is this, the final f- option.
0: Yeah. This relationship is unhealthy and right. I need to get out of it. We right. need to get out of it. Yeah.
1: And it's no longer like, well, you know, he's always going to have a job because he's the town's undertaker. <laughs> that ceases to be the reason, right? Like there's, there's, there's a lot less like this is my ticket to financial security. Mm-hmm. And what else am I going to do? Yep. I'm almost 23. Um, and <laughs> now it's
0: <laughs> so, i i have to interject here yeah i have to interject here sure because uh when my parents got married uh-huh um they married in 1970 okay and uh my dad was born in 44 my mother was born in 45 so my mother was 25 years old
1: Ooh, she just when got they got there.
0: married and and understand that was literally that was no shit what my grandmother yes was was starting to say to her, yeah. And, that you're and a
1: Chris, the the phrase was, "You're a Christmas cake." Yeah. Well, I
0: don't think they used that one. Uh, right. But but I it know was, they used the, that in Japan. Uh, yeah.
1: Up until like twenty years ago. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. But it but it was you know because uh, all of her all of her older mm-hmm.
1: older sisters
0: had had already been married, and yeah. it was like you know Linda and then and then my aunt, my young my one remaining on mm-hmm. um and uh well my one remaining on who's not in a care home anyway this
1: is important this this part's definitely an important detail the audience yeah sorry not understand otherwise
0: yeah sorry <laughs> but anyway yeah she she was literally getting that from yeah. the other members of the family it was like yeah you you need to figure something out and then she brought my dad home and her older sister was like you're robbing the cradle aren't you <laughs> and at the at the conclusion of my dad's first visit with with his eventually in laws, uh-huh. uh, as they were as they were saying their goodbyes, um, there was a lull in the conversation, and my grandfather, God bless him, looked my father right in the eye and said, "So, when are you two going to get hooked up?" Wow! Just look. And my grandfather did it to to get a uh, 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 right. yeah, uh yeah, yeah, yeah out of my dad. My grandmother apparently kicked him in the shins.
1: Good, good. <laughs>
0: But yeah, no, that was that was truly like a, a it, you know, we we talk about, you know, oh, well, it, we speak of it sarcastically now. Right. But it really was a thing.
1: It was a pervading reality. Like, yeah, it was a thing like consent is a thing now. Yeah. Because that was how you got consent back then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's also true. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, man, man. Anyway, so, so my mom. Okay, so you you come from uh, the the what? They're not boomers, are they? What my parents? They, they are. They barely no,
0: are. Uh, well, my dad. No, Forty four. They, they close are close enough. They're, People they're are happy yeah. to
1: be home. They fucked. They had kids. Yeah. Well. Okay. So my mom was the tail end of that. She was fifty six, okay. and my okay. father okay. I think was like fifty seven or fifty. Yeah, I think he was fifty seven. Because there is one okay. year different. Um, they got married in like 75, 76. Okay. So not too long after your parents. Um, yeah. But they got married at like, I think she was twenty and he was nineteen. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, my great great aunt, um, Aunt Ella, uh, mm-hmm. who had been born when there were horse and buggies. And she died after we got to the moon.
0: Like oh she, damn.
1: Yeah, she died. I, I think she was like ninety seven when she died, and she was okay. born in like eighteen eighty eight or some shit.
0: Holy crap.
1: Yeah uh she was twice divorced no she was widowed and divorced okay and it was whispered that she was divorced she's divorced
0: oh like, yeah who are you oh, whispering well, the, like, about like, like
1: this is like nobody here but our family
0: oh yeah well it's it's like, the same it way that, yeah the same way that in some circles you know you talk well you know he uh he got he got cancer you know, it's, I, it's the same. It's the same kind of we don't. Like you don't want the evil eye to find yeah, you. Yeah, we daren't speak its name. You know. Yeah. Voldemort. God. Voldemort. Voldemort. Right. God damn it! Fucking Voldemort. She <laughs> got divorced. Her husband was a drunk and an asshole. She divorced. him. Yeah, like, yeah. what's oh, the problem yeah. here? Yeah. Like you statistically, know. Statistically, that's what it was. Statistically, that that was it. Like, yeah. You know, it was. She was in fear for her life. Like. Right.
1: Right. You know? because again, you have to go before a legal person, yeah. and they get to decide.
0: Yeah, they get to tell you whether or not you get to get divorced.
1: And here's what's wild. That was a progressive step forward from a hundred and something years prior. I think 150 years prior, you had to get an active legislation. Oh, yeah. You literally had to have the legislature meet during their <laughs> session to grant have, you and... a divorce. Oh, yeah. No, like it, it, was,
0: it was bullshit. Man. Yeah. It was, yeah.
1: So- I think this is a huge step forward, and I give yeah. props to Reagan for this. Does, and frankly, look, people can bring their baggage to their job. That's how it works. Yeah. I think he was recasting himself. I think he was genuinely trying to, kind of like how we made Rambo two to feel better mm-hmm. about losing Vietnam. I yeah. Think he was doing yeah, yeah. that regarding divorce. So I you, understand that. Yeah. You get this idea of the soulmate model for yeah. marriage, yeah. and by the way, at this point, you get the newlywed game. Um. But. Uh, like, okay, that
0: tracks. Yeah. Well, and also this is the point at which the the sexual revolution is well underway. Yes. And so. so there's a whole there's a whole generation after Reagan. Yep. Who who are not tied up in the same ideas about, well, you know, you gotta get married right before you go, you know, doing
1: that stuff. Well, oh, and they're shaming their parents, but they're just like they their because their parents are like, you're living with it, you're not yeah. married to them. Like yeah. you can't don't you have the decency to at least be hypocritical about it mm-hmm. like yeah yeah but um yeah soulmateism is mm-hmm. is kind of a thing and uh with this new model divorce could be reframed as an opportunity for growth for children as well and this is where this website kind of went off the rails because they're like oh and they lied because they said blah 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 for the children and it felt very dr Laura. but i think they have something at their core that they accidentally tripped over okay. um because Instead of tradition, happiness was now the guiding factor. And if a child mm-hmm. is seeing a shitty marriage, it is your duty as a parent to remove that from the child's view and show them, like, "Hey, we're going to struggle for a while, but you deserve better.
0: But but in the end, we're going to be in a much better place." And and by the way, this is how self-actualized, independent adults take care of themselves
1: mm-hmm. Sometimes. and you. Sometimes you have to say we were we, either we were wrong to do this or mm-hmm. we've come to the end of the road.
0: Yeah, we both we things have, can be we have okay. Changed. Yeah, yeah.
1: Since yeah. men aren't dying at forty six, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, with life expectancy going up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, having having witnessed children in in those situations, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I am. Constantly grateful that my mm-hmm. first wife and I never had kids sure. um, and having seen friends in in unhealthy situations who have kids. Yeah, like my attitude has been, you know, looking at them and telling them, OK, no, you need to get the fuck out of there.
1: Right. It because is OK to get out.
0: It is OK to get out of there. And And one of the arguments has been, do you want your child? Yeah. Being surrounded by this level of toxicity, it's really clear. Neither one of you is happy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, you, you know, it's, it's better for them to see you as an adult say, okay, no, I'm removing myself, you know, and then deal with whatever else comes after that yeah. than, than to continue seeing you and your partner
1: actively each hurting each other. Yeah. Like yeah. that's
0: bullshit. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, and, and again, your child will see themselves in you, therefore, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, uh, the view was that a divorce could protect the emotional welfare of children by allowing their parents to leave marriages in which they were unhappy. And there's a lot of truth to that, like you were saying. But also, yeah. it's also really easy to cocoon yourself in that truth and pretend that the kids are better off by the decision that you happen to endorse. So there is kind of a reverb going on there.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean... Yeah.
1: Yes. It's, it's it's there. It's absolutely yeah. there. Um. And it is hard to do objective longevity studies because you're dealing with a lot of emotional shit. You're dealing with like, how do you measure happiness index? You know, like, you, oh, you yeah, can't just be by finance because what if the family business had failed and you guys had stayed together? You know, like yeah. there's so many, there, yeah, there, there's, there's all so much of, to it. Yeah.
0: It's, it's a, it's an immensely complicated. Th- there's so many variables involved. Yeah. But you you
1: can take a look at surveys year over year. And so in 1962, about half of American women agreed with the idea that, quote, when there are children in the family, parents should stay together, even if they don't get along.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: That's about half. Now, that's 62. By 77, that number dropped to 20%.
0: Okay. That tracks. I I can see that.
1: I think we're seeing a... By the way, that's the year I was born. Um. Uh, my parents were divorced a uh, little, little after I was born, about 10 months okay. later. All right. um, but I think we're seeing a confluence of things. I think we're seeing uh, real data for the first time where women are actually able to talk candidly about their feelings without fear of reprisal, without fear mm-hmm. of judgment, and without fear of financial and social ruin. Yeah. Um, I also know that there was a study in Britain, and I'm sticking to America for this, but there was a study in Britain in 1954 where they asked women... How important is sex in a marriage? And I think it was like 20%. Yeah,
0: we've that, we've talked about yeah, this we in talked an earlier episode. This. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then by 74, it had gone up to over 50%. And I don't think British men got that much better at fucking from 54 no. to 74. <laughs> but like women were but, valuing their orgasms.
0: Yeah. Women, women were now in a better position to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Um, I, I deserve some some attention right here too you know yeah
1: i i also i deserve pleasure and it is my right and you as a husband should provide that for me i should not just lie back and think of the queen yeah so there was as is inevitable the prevalence of a rubber band effect when it came to the necessity of fathers as a result of this Uh, but in fairness i don't think the necessity of fathers uh, as more than breadwinners was really dripping from the pages until women got to leave either so i'm going to call bad faith on that
0: oh no it it totally wasn't like i mean look at look at all of the stereotypes that you see in media Mm -hmm. from the post-war period oh yeah you know men are men are like okay well you know i'm home having dinner and then going out to the bowling club you know bowling club fraternal
1: organization going to this bar bar, that bar
0: yeah doing everything they could to get out of the fucking house Uh because because they felt stifled and they felt trapped right because the institution of marriage was this obligation and it Mm -hmm. wasn't you know, it was, it was
1: as, and their role was so nuclearly defined as in you are the proton, your wife is the neutron, your children are the electron. So you yeah. don't get to do anything other than be the breadwinner. Yeah. You don't get to do anything other than, be, than be the host household housemaker and the yeah. children, you know, don't get to do anything other than run around outside. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's so limiting. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. It, yeah. And, and that's Stifling. just
1: dominant culture. That's not even yeah. what everybody had to deal with, but that is the dominant yeah. culture and the dominant paradigm.
0: Yeah. And it's bullshit. Like, yeah. you know, you see, you see echoes of that even today, you know, mm-hmm. 70 years after the oh, 50s. Yeah. You know, uh, the the number of um cake toppers, like when 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 Lee mm-hmm. and I were getting married, you know, trying to shop for a cake topper, we were like, there's so many of these we don't like, we want something that's a little bit funny or a little bit cute. But all the ones that are trying to be funny or cute are it's like, like she's dragging you know, him to the altar. She's dragging him to the yeah. altar. She's you know clapping handcuffs on him or something. Right. And like he's, he's trying he's to cry. He's yeah. weeping. It's like, I want to be here. Like this is personally yeah. insulting to me. Right. I, like right. what the fuck, man? You know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, no, that there there are those aspects of our culture that still haven't gotten fixed.
2: Mm-hmm
1: yeah, yeah there's a there's a friend of mine who's a comedian his name's Corey berenger two r's um okay. in the middle there's also an R okay. at the end, i believe um but he uh his like a lot of his shtick is i love my wife and it's so wholesome that it's funny uh-huh. because you keep expecting him to hit you with the reversal and he's like oh no oh, yeah. there's no reversal here she really gets me and i love her <laughs> and like you're like Okay, this is funny. Like it shouldn't be this funny, but this is funny. Yeah,
0: but but our but our social expectations are such that like exactly and he can just keep going on it.
1: Uh-huh. And yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 a lot of fun. But yeah, that's that's precisely like so yeah. Um in 1974, there was a book that said, quote, when fathers are not available, friends, relatives, teachers, and counselors can provide ample opportunity for youngsters to model themselves after a like-sexed adult. Now, that is a book that that occurred at the time. That was a snapback against the whole, what are you going to do if the man leaves? You know, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. What are you going to yeah, do yeah. that? You're on your own, Janice. Um, But again, I don't think that that can be taken wholesale since examinations of how many nights out a weekday uh, a week dads would spend in those same homes 10 and 20 years earlier. Yeah. were Not really counted like we were just yeah. talking about. Yeah. The fact is, the institutional model of a marriage as a goal, especially for women, was no longer a forever institution. It was one of volition for both parents. And this meant that mistakes could be corrected. If you add this to the fact that with the availability of safe and legal contraception starting in 1966 everywhere, and safe and legal abortion starting nationally in 1972, remember those days? Mm-hmm. Family life in general was more and more an act of volition, and there were more and more definitions of what that family was. Yeah, now, a lot of folks will point out that the idea—the idea that a no-fault divorce hasn't enhanced people's marriages who choose to stay married—and that may be, but it's not so in a vacuum.
0: Okay, hold on. Let me sure. let me let me backtrack on that statement. So, it has not enhanced marriages right for people who choose to stay married.
1: Right. So they're claiming that that's not a, so therefore divorce is not good because it hasn't enhanced
0: uh, um,
1: people who stayed together. And I actually kind of think it has because y'all get to stay together on purpose.
0: Yeah. It's an active
1: choice, an exhausted mm -hmm. choice, but an active choice,
0: (laughs) a very, very tiring choice. But yes, um, I I I don't even get like where that argument like, well, this has not enhanced marriage, so it's no good. Well, OK, uh, Bob, the the idea wasn't to enhance marriage. The idea was to make it so that if your marriage sucks, you can get out of it. Right. We're not trying to help enhance the experience for people who like were happy. They were fine.
1: Right. It feels like survivor so, paradox, doesn't it? Kinda. Like survivor fallacy. Yeah. Like, oh, we better armor up the parts that got shot. Why? Those parts didn't cause them to crash.
0: Yeah. yeah, Those those are the parts that you can get shot up. Let's look at all the places. Like, oh, hey, these these parts near the fuselage in the wing. That's where the fuel tanks are.
1: Dipshit. Maybe. Let's look at the ones that crashed. Yeah. Let's. (laughs) How about? Let's look look at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. the The people the people whose marriages worked are not the problem. The problem. Is everybody who was stuck in a marriage that exactly. was making them miserable and in a shockingly high number of cases actually killing them?
1: Mm-hmm. Like, that's let's... a thing that's happening now in old elder care facilities. There is an enormous, there's like this whole underground, like Twitter, TikTok, whatever, or social media is like caregivers of TikTok or caregivers of, of Twitter, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, is the amount of elderly women admitting to murdering their husbands is is remarkably high?
0: I I wasn't even thinking of it from that side. I was just oh, thinking yeah. of you know how many women were murdered by their husbands you know through uh, you know domestic violence. But oh, also yeah, that. that that okay, yeah, yeah. You know when 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 society doesn't give you an option. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you are in fear for your safety, your children's safety, your life, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you're gonna find a way to slip rat poison in the in the ragu, like you <laughs> <Yes>. know, <laughs> oh and
1: it's uh, gonna and... seem like a good idea because you were on amphetamines the whole time. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There's also <laughs> mother's little helper might have, might have <laughs> yeah. made it a little bit a little bit easier to follow that train of thought
1: oh man yeah it's
0: <laughs> it's it's important to remember that after a certain point uh members yeah. of the of the greatest and silent generations were kind of all on drugs yeah it, he's uh, on the know, downer
1: but, she's on the uppers yeah yeah the secretary <clears throat> meets in the middle um <laughs> so this brings me to another ronald reagan milestone uh his okay. election to president
0: okay
1: he, uh, once he was elected to office and the world began kneeling, right. Or not kneeling, keening, <laughs> <laughs> keening right.
0: Keening, Keening, right. word. Okay. Uh,
1: the, the Charles kneeling five. No, uh, Keening, right. Word. Uh, I have not found a way to, to like a lot of people have said, oh, well, you'll find a way to slip this into anything. And mm-hmm. I haven't, and I, I don't do that, but, um, I would like to slip the, the SNL scandal into some, some sort of like. Hey, do you remember that, mm, that yeah. know, Marvel team up uh, issue where yeah. Iceman yeah. and, and like the shadow got together? That's mm. just like Charles Keating. And here's,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a hard one. That's a hard one. Cause that was, yeah. Esoteric oh, on, boy, a, on a certain am. level, you yeah. Know. but anyway.
1: So anyway, uh, so the, the world started keening rightward. Um, another really important factor changed how families were structured. Um, He, Ronald Reagan, institutionalized or instituted, I dare say institutionalized, unfortunately, Mm. a Calvin Coolidge-style fiscal policy following the advice of Arthur Betts Laffer, an outspoken critic of Keynesian economics who insisted that tax cuts would raise tax revenues.
0: And and we just all agree Mm -hmm. that when you're dealing with a large enough economy, Keynesianism has been proven to actually work. And can we all just get together and go, okay. Richard
1: look. Nixon agreed. Yeah. I, I like I he fucking straight up know. said we're all Keynesians. We're all
0: Keynesians. Like yeah. cause it because it fucking works. Great social down economics. Nixon. Yeah. 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 Noted <laughs> noted pinko Kami, Richard Nixon.
1: Socialist Avatar, Richard <laughs> Milhouse Nixon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just love hearing his middle name, Richard Billhouse Nixon. Yeah, um, it just sounds like milk toast. Um, yeah, it does. But, but, like, can 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 we just agree? Can Can we just find a way to agree as a society mm-hmm. that when you're dealing with the world's largest economy, maybe Keynesianism has has shown that it's it's a model worth following.
1: Maybe no, nope. just. No, because where did you learn that? One of those pussy libraries where you can read books.
0: God damn it. You sound pitch perfect, too. I know. That's like, God.
1: I have to be careful where I keep my phone because of what starts getting advertised to me because of the research that I do for this show (laughs) and because of the things we discuss. Like, I could not figure out for the life of me why gun t-shirts and like american flags made of guns and uh as designs on a food prepper bucket was being advertised to me for the longest time and then i realized oh christ it's all the shit that i look up for the show (laughs) (laughs) god damn it i need another browser
0: Ah, that's funny
1: yeah anyway so
0: terrifying but anyway
1: Yeah. So uh, economists regularly deride this as poppycock of the highest order, by the way. Uh, But because it's the United States, uh, Laffer won the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2019. And his theories were again put into practice in Kansas under the Brownback administration in 2012, leading to economic disaster there, turning a budget surplus into a $200 million deficit forcing Brownback to run on culture war bullshit about strip bars instead of facts leading to infrastructural and educational cuts that threaten the viability of those very schools and infrastructure. Laffer got $75,000 for his advice to Kansas.
0: And of course he got the congressional medal of freedom in 2019.
1: Oh, why is there like, is that a math thing or what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
1: Oh. Rotting mango of a human being. Anyway. Laffer advised Reagan, uh, who then went all in on supply side and tax cuts for the rich, something that Bush himself called voodoo economics. Mm-hmm. In a single year, the government cut the top marginal tax rate from 70 to 50 percent and cut the capital gains taxes from 28 to 20 percent, which if you just think about it as simple percentages, I could understand fooling yourself. But if you think about it as Going from seventy to fifty percent just means that they can buy more yachts mm-hmm. because they're not they're not starving. And also, now if you start taking a look at the amount of money that gets taken out of the budget for social safety net programs, then you start to. But no, let's just yeah. wow, twenty percent cut. That's that's not that big a deal. That's a fifth big deal. I would love to lose a, a fifth of my taxes. What you Okay. Yeah. Mm. Seventy
0: to fifty. What like. And again,
1: it's money that they would never fucking see, like because all their other money stacked on top of it, like (laughs) they're never gonna see that money. Yeah, and and never get to the bottom.
0: And when you and when you hear, well, oh my god, they were being taxed at seventy percent. No, their income over a particular level, right, was being taxed at seventy percent. Right. Like, like every every dollar you make over ten million, right, you're only seeing thirty cents of. But when yeah. you look at the scale on which anybody who's making that kind of money operates,-, mm-hmm. that thirty cents on the dollar still means they're making another three million a year.
1: Exactly. Like it would be great like, to take the Eisenhower speech about the cost of a bomber, yeah, and convert it to the cost of cuts on billionaires. hmm you know one yeah. percent cut means an entire town's power for an entire year. You know, a 2% cut means eight hospitals fully staffed, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or 20, 50,000 bushels of wheat, you know, yeah. I think that would be helpful. Anyway, they also cut capital gains taxes from 28 to 20%. And, and again, most people will never see capital gains or know anything about that. So most of us would not give a shit. But of course, we're all temporarily embarrassed millionaires. So we think, oh, (laughs) Oh, I could use that extra 8% someday. It's like you yeah. could use that extra 8% now. Um, yeah. Because it would have come to you.
0: <laughs> well, it would have. Number one, it would have. There's, there's all kinds of ways it would have come to you. Um, the highways that you bitch about being in bad repair, mm-hmm. the, the bridges and overpasses and everything else that are literally falling apart across our country. The, the. You
1: think that would have held sway in Tacoma?
0: You'd, you'd think. Nice, nice. By the way,
1: thank nice. you. Thank you. It I took me a moment to make that joke. No, yeah. oh. that you know, I, I saw a documentary on that bridge. Didn't hold yeah. up. Didn't. It?
0: I'm I'm not feeling very harmonic
1: oh. <laughs> after all that. Well I have done. to tell you. Well done. They also Um, increased the inherited money exemptions from real estate and corporate taxes by more than 300%. So there's more exemptions. Say say, say that again. So inherited money, right? Yeah. They increased the exemptions you could claim in that by over 300%. They increased exemptions from real estate taxes by 300%. Actually, I mean, we had Prop 13 out here in California. We did that to ourselves. But that means that Disney who currently makes what, like $15 a month from everybody who has a subscription. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And there's
1: like 12 yeah. million subscriptions or something like they're yeah. just making free money at oh, this point. Hand, hand over
0: fist. They're yeah. still
1: paying on their real estate for Disney world and Disneyland. $1975. Yeah. Whatever that it was valued oh, for Disneyland. Then. I
0: don't know. I don't know how Disney world. Good
1: point. Cause that's in Florida. Florida so they're Florida probably paying Texas. nothing. But um
0: yeah, which is even worse.
1: But yeah, so Disneyland, yeah. they're they're paying I no, I think it's nineteen seventy-three dollars. But California did that ourselves, and we keep continuing to not fix yeah.
0: that. Well, and and but yeah, yeah, just just in the last major in the in the twenty twenty election, mm-hmm. um, I remember um my my union and I'm sure yours too was pushing really hard to support an amendment.
1: Yeah, it was to a prop new proposition. 13. Yeah. yeah,
0: that would, that would say, okay, no, look for business, for business, uh, uh, just for business property, just for business at valued over a $3 million. Home, dollars. Yeah. 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 If you own a home, right. this
1: isn't you, not you. We still and defeated it as a state. We're idiots.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, I actually, I got into arguments with, with friends <laughs> on mm. Facebook about it and they were like, no, no, this is, this is, uh, you know, this is just, this is just, uh, this is getting their foot in the door. And yeah, they're going to, they're going to, and it was literally, they're going to kick my mom out of her house. Right. Because she won't be able to afford to pay her uh, property taxes. It's like, no, that's no, read the bill. Well, no, I know what the bill says, which they didn't, but. Right, right. And, and yeah, no, the noise machine. Mm -hmm. Because as a culture, we're, we're afraid of taxation.
1: Yeah. Which is really weird. Because we're also Ooh. afraid of the homeless people that a lack of taxation creates. Yep. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. We screw ourselves both ways. Mm-hmm. So,
1: it's, you know what it feels like? It feels like those kids that I see that wear Harvard sweatshirts around mm-hmm. school, at high schools, yeah. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all these sweatshirts that they had to pay like 50 bucks to buy. Mm-hmm. And then they also spent another $55 to apply to get told no. So they've given that institution a hundred dollars, and they won't ever get to go there. Yeah, like you know, and they're advertising it to others. So there's yeah other value added there. Like yeah, I actually had this idea for a while, and I still kind of want to do it where I, I make college style sweatshirts, mm-hmm. but they say things that like I as an adult will never get to, since the kids are wearing these shirts oh, for yeah? schools and never get to. Yeah, yeah like, like... self respect or true happiness or. <laughs> debt-free you know shit like that <laughs> just okay yeah, yeah yeah see my toes you know stuff like yes. that like just but <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah anyway so <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just just wholesale wonderful for, for business you know and and like I said it's 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 very Calvin Coolidge-esque um in 1985 the top mar- marginal tax rate dropped to 28 percent But, but he did bring capital gains taxes back to what they were at 28%. So, you know, for those who had the highest incomes, Mm -hmm. so fair is fair. And the lowest tax bracket went up from 11 to 15%. That's only 4%. I mean, no big deal, except that you're living completely on the margin. Like, ugh. And that, that last part, that 4% increase to help fund the, or help like make up for, Mm, you know, may have been the linchpin to the whole reason why marriages weren't getting better, even though they were now much closer to being purely acts of volition. In 1970, the amount of households that had children with only one income earner in the family was around 60%. By 1985, that number was closer to 40%. That means that around 1981, the two ships passed in the night with dual income households surpassing single income houses, households, Mm -hmm. marital happiness may not have uh, been on the rise because both parents were out working. And if you add to that, the amount of households where it's a single parent, that means hundred percent of the adults are likely working outside of the home in those houses. Mm -hmm. And there it is with the cuts to the tax rates paired with the cuts to Medicaid funding for food stamps, school lunch programs, unemployment benefits, job training and retraining and Reagan's constant attempted murders on Social Security, all of this to pay for the difference in the tax cuts that he created. We're starting to see what's really happening. Paradoxically, we're starting uh, we're seeing every year that he was in office, the GDP rose as did the amount of our national debt and the percentage of the GDP or as the yeah. percentage of GDP. Mm-hmm further only two of his eight years saw a reduction in deficit spending and those were still reductions from higher years the previous year so i kind of don't count that i mean mathematically yes it's a reduction but it's not an overall reduction it's never yeah. below what <clears throat> he started with no in other words yes he reduced the deficit spending from 207 billion down to 185 billion from 1983 to 1984 but he came into office with it pegged for two years straight at $73 billion. He never got below $73 billion. So even, so even his...
0: when it was lower, it was $100 billion more.
1: Yes. And by the time he left office, it was still more than double what he had been what it had been when he'd assumed office.
0: So so what we're saying here mm-hmm. is because cause a big, a big, huge part of that was, you know. Military program spending,
1: uh huh, huge,
0: huge, huge, huge part of it, and and that military spending is. I want you often, to remember
1: that. I want you to remember I'm, that specifically. I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah.
0: I believe me. I'm gonna. Uh huh. But a a significant number. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's a majority, but I know I've I've heard it enough times that I know it's a it's a commonality mm-hmm. of of uh, historians. Uh, point to the incredibly inflated military budgets of the Reagan and then the you know Bush one years, right? As being what essentially put the nail in the coffin of the Soviet Union, because they couldn't keep up with us, you know, spending wise militarily, and and they their their economy tanked trying to, uh, which is an oversimplification of of the argument, but you know, mm-hmm. broad brush. So what you're telling me is we we drove the Soviet Union into the ground by running up all of our credit cards.
1: Not only that, but and first off, I think that's a bullshit argument, to be honest. Okay. But it's, it's not okay. one we can litigate here. Yeah. Um. But uh, so I disagree that that's what caused the Soviet Union to fall. Okay. But let's assume that it is just for yeah. a second, because I can yeah. still make this point. We mortgaged that victory, which I disagree existed that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We mortgaged it. I mean, because we certainly spent up, right? Yeah. I just don't think it had an effect. But okay. we mortgaged that victory on the backs of poor mothers.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: It's not unlike when Sarah Palin was complaining that she couldn't have the Cadillac treatment if other people got an Oldsmobile. Right? Okay. So. Yeah. In order for me to have my really good health care, some of y'all are gonna have to die. And that's a Mm -hmm. that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. So even if that was true, yeah, even if we outspent them and that's how we won the Cold War. And I certainly think we were trying to. (laughs) I'm not saying we weren't trying to that was
0: the strategy rather than that was actually what worked. Right,
1: right. But that strategy was built on fucking the underclass. In order for it to work, you mm-hmm. had to start you had to have
0: the orphan you had to have the orphan being tortured at the core of the city for everybody else in Omelas to be there you go living in utopia. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So by nineteen ninety, the population was roughly two hundred and forty eight million persons. Okay. Twenty-six point five percent of the ninety one million total households. So two hundred and forty eight million people, that's ninety one million households. Okay. Twenty-five point six percent, so a quarter of those households had children and both parents in the home. Okay. So out of all the households, only a quarter of them had children and both parents. Now keep in mind, there are plenty of households without children. So, you know, you you shrink the number, but roughly 60% of those households had parents who both worked. Yeah. Okay. So the ones that had two parent households, 60% of those Both parents were at work. Okay. This means that the 6.6 of those 91 million households who had just the mom at home, so that was only 6.5% Wow. in 1990. They didn't keep the data on the single dad households, interestingly enough. Mm. Um, But 6.6% had a vast majority where the parents worked too. In other words, mom was working, right? Yeah. This adds up to roughly half of all kids came from divorced homes. Okay. About 40% of those kids were living as what was referred to as latchkey kids. Kids Mm -hmm. who spent, by definition, three or more days per week with two or more sustained hours of unsupervised time alone. Add that to the amount of kids whose parents were both at work after school for a few hours, and the number is actually unimpressively small uh, relative to the amount of media attention and focus. Taken as a whole, roughly two million kids, eight to ten percent of nationwide kids, were latchkey kids. That's about it. Okay. Now, I, we grew up with like that being the great plague, you know. Um, yeah. And Satan, of course. But um, there's some important distinctions. No, 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 no. Making. That
0: was role playing games. Don't get Good it point. twisted. That was D and
1: D. Right. Yeah. Um. Which, which kids was, would course, do if left home alone. would have left home alone. Well,
0: right. God knows I did enough of it, but neither yeah. here nor there. It was okay.
1: Yeah. It's not I'm, that many I'm tra- kids.
0: I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to run the math in my head. So, sure. okay, so we know that a, a, a very significant number of those households mm-hmm. were single parent households uh-huh. where parent had to be out working to pay bills. Right.
1: That's roughly 6%, 6 6.5% of the households in America were single mom households and a vast majority of those had her working, of course.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. So that's roughly 6.5% of total households.
0: Okay. Okay. Of total household. All right. Uh Wow. All right. Yeah.
1: It sounded like so much more growing up, right? It really did. Now, and don't get me wrong. If you lose like a million people in a year, that's only one 300th of the country. But yeah. but you shouldn't turn your nose at that and go, yeah, no, well, well, what were their comorbidities? Like yeah. you should absolutely <laughs> see that as the crisis that it is. Yeah. Now, having yeah. said that, yeah, the way that it was focused on when we were kids.
0: Oh, yeah. And... No, God knows, God knows what was going to happen to us, being alone mm-hmm. in the house
1: for, you know,
0: Two hours an afternoon, you know, three days a week,
1: right. four days now, a week, here's, whatever. Here's the interesting part. The higher percentages were found in the middle to upper middle class ho- households. Okay. Kids who lived in poorer areas and poorer homes often had multiple generations living in close enough proximity and or in the house with them. So you'd go down the street to your auntie's house until mom came home. You go down the street to grandma's house or grandma's already home and mom's yeah. taking care of like all of that is okay. there. Those are okay. things you have multi-generational Those... homes because people are poor and that's support how support works. Networks. Yeah. Right. That's how it, yeah. Okay. So it's really the middle-class and upper middle-class households, the nuclearist families that they were and the ones that were the dominant culture you see a higher prevalence of latchkey kids amongst them, which means that you see a higher percentage of white kids as latchkey kids. What you don't have or Mm -hmm. where you don't have that, that multi-generational homes is the families that can afford to live that nuclear lifestyle. Even if it's at the cost of both parents working outside of the house. Okay. So that's why it's getting all that attention. 2 million kids. Two million kids were used to uh th- that's that's your latch key. Yeah. Two million, which, again, that's a lot of fucking kids. Yeah. But it's also if you take a look at the total number, like percentage, we're doing all right. Yeah. Now, you know, what would help with that mm. after school programs, all the mm-hmm. shit that got cut. Like, yeah, all yeah. those fucking things that yeah. existed prior to Reagan. Yeah. But here you go, 2 million kids. And oh boy, was there a ton of attention given, Um, which is weird since it was Gen X and we're used to being ignored. Um, But pearls must be clutched, anvils must be dropped. So the demographics that led to the overly proportioned media coverage of latchkey kids in the 1980s centered on two factors, socioeconomic status and the race of each of the latchkey kids. In the 1990 census, they identified suburban kids as being twice as likely to be latchkey kids as children living in urban centers. And since that meant more white than non-white, it it wasn't an issue that could be ignored because it was only amongst, uh, or it wasn't only amongst the poorer urban areas where predominantly black, Hispanic, and recent immigrants lived. This is happening in our neighborhoods, not just downtown. Now,
0: which, which is a neighborhood. Downtown is a neighborhood. Well, they're, they're,
1: they're not really. Like, I mean, no, you know, there are yeah, people just, down there. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get you get to the... Uh, I was teaching my daughter while we were cooking the, the problem of intuition and yeah. just begging the question. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 1980s, the amount of TV hours spent hovered just around seven hours per day for the decade. And the amount of households with at least one color TV by 1985 was 90% of households. This meant... That if the unsupervised kids weren't in the park or on the street playing with their friends, there was a solid chance that they were watching TV after school. Yeah. Because of the whiteness of this problem, it had to be focused on. It had to be solved neatly and effectively. But most importantly, it had to be marketed to. And that's what this episode (laughs) has really been about.
0: Wow. All right.
1: But first... A note from our sponsors, uh, a bit about regulation and self-appointed groups who saw the dangers of hypercapitalized airwaves. OK, so we got to set the Wayback Machine to 1968 again. Um, the Action for Children's Television, ACT. They are a self-started watchdog group, and I genuinely frown on those. But this one seemed to actually be doing a good thing. Uh, they started as an effort to make sure that TV programming would encourage diversification in children's television offerings and would discourage over-commercialization of children's programming, and it would eliminate deceptive advertising aimed at young viewers. Okay, all right. So not that this was what they were aimed at or what what sparked them, but I do remember Soupy Sales getting in trouble for telling kids, if you send me the portraits of presidents from your mom's purse, I'll send you a postcard from Costa Rica. (laughs) Which I love. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so I don't think that that's what they're talking about because that's yeah. too direct, but like yeah. Yeah. you saw all kinds of advertising like that, right? Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck? Um, Their first main target actually was Romper Room, which makes a lot of sense when you think about Romper Room is all about kids playing, right? So right. brand, product placement, so, shit like that. Yeah, okay. Right. And they're like, no, you have these toys rather overtly advertised here and not everybody can afford those. So fucking stop it. Like get generic okay. brands if you're going to do that.
0: Okay. All right.
1: It seems at once both reasonable and like a group of moms who were really fucking sick of their kids asking them for specific toys that they saw on TV shows. Yeah, which also doesn't sound unreasonable to be
0: honest. No, indeed. You know, w- the first thing I think of hearing about that mm-hmm. is um, nowadays we have YouTube. Yes, we do, and there are there are there any are number of uh, well, it's it's not just ads. It's there are whole YouTube channels put together Mm -hmm. by, you know, families with, with young children who have, who have gone into basically every video they put up is some kind of, Hey, let's show you how, you know, this is, this is, here is, here are these toys and you see the kids playing with the toys or you see like for a while there was, there was a couple of them that, that Robert was watching where, you know, you hear clearly adults, you know, doing stuff, you know, doing voices for the toys as they're playing with them. And, right. and, you know, you see them showing you how to flip the Transformers from one mode to another and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's mm-hmm. just, it is it is this, the same shit from the beginning of television has just morphed onto a new medium.
1: Yep. It's like an unregulated, again, un- it's is unregulated, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and it starts with local activism, right? It starts with uh, people caring and making noise. So that's what these women did, these moms. And they had an operating staff. They had an operating budget of $225,000 by the mid-1980s. All right. About eight people paid on staff, and they were aided by more than 20,000 volunteers, which you could see this as a civic duty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The funding came from about 70% of its member, 70% of the funding was membership dues, 30% was from foundation grants uh, like Markle. Um, In addition to promoting diversification and fighting capitalism, they also began to focus on tamping down the violence in TV shows. Saturday morning cartoons were just getting going in the late 1960s and having the kids watching a steady diet of flaccid violence was better than having them watch a steady diet of turgid violence. So, okay. they pressured the FCC to get rid of the Fantastic Four cartoon, the Lone Ranger, Space Ghost, Birdman, the Galaxy Trio, and others. Again, shit that we all liked, but yeah, if okay. you look at it compared to other cartoons, you'd be like, okay, okay. I see where they're going. I don't yeah. necessarily agree, but then again, I you know, okay. I, I think right. differently, right? But this led the way for HR Puff and stuff, Dick Dastardly and Muttley, and Scooby Doo like okay and yeah. so you start to see how you know the the laugh olympics cartoons basically yeah actually are given space because we got rid of all the good shit um but they were trying <laughs> to us, get rid of the violence
0: tell us, tell us what you think about dick jasterly there
1: <laughs>
0: don't don't hold back give us, give us your opinion how did it's you just, really feel
1: i mean don't get me wrong you know the usa network would show me the laugh olympics and i thought that was cool but like it had like these random ass Hanna-Barbera cartoons going against yeah. each other. And I didn't know half of them. It's like, there's a yeah. dune buggy that talks and three teenagers that I can't tell the difference between. Yeah. Like uh, I liked the, the fact that great Ape had a deep voice, but I, I'd never seen a cartoon of Grape Ape. you know? Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, we were long yeah. past. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, producer George remembers all of it, but <laughs> anyway, in the 1970s, <laughs> They the the I ACT, feel like
0: I had to throw in a fuck you on his behalf
1: there. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so in the 1970s, the, the ACT moved to stop any and all advertising on children's programming via pressure on the FCC. This is cool. You pressure the okay. federal regulations. Yeah. They do the thing, right? That effort ultimately failed. Mm. So then they went after children's vitamins that looked like candy. They're like, look, fucking stop at least doing that. And mm-hmm. vitamin companies themselves actually removed advertising as a result. And that kept the FCC from having to say anything, as quite often happens, to be honest. Mm-hmm. yeah, um, It's a cudgel that you wield and other people self-regulate, right? Now, with this success, the ACT put forth more suggested guidelines, specifically uh, a three-part uh, thing. Quote, one, that there be a minimum of 14 hours programming for children of different ages each week as a public service. This sounds great.
0: Okay. All
1: right. Two, that there be no commercials on children's programs. I like okay. this. I like I'm I'm yeah. down for this shit. Like, hey, in addition yeah. to providing us one half hour of out of the 24 for news, do this for kids programming. Right. And three, yeah, yeah. that hosts on children's shows do not sell anything. Okay. So that honestly, well, I'll get to that in a second. Fred Rogers was a keynote speaker at one of their symposia.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, the National Association of Broadcasters reacted to all of this in 1973 by exceeding to some of their guidelines. Hosts of children's shows couldn't appear in commercials aimed at selling things to kids anymore. Because, you know, you're, you're a trusted face, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And so yeah. when you Captain say to kangaroo sell, can't right.
0: be trying to sell Legos.
1: Now, what this means is okay. you should give them raises to make up for the, you know, mm-hmm. we see this in wrestling. There's the connection. We see this in wrestling. <laughs> Faces had merch. Heels did not. Yeah. So you paid heels more to make up for the gap. Okay. It's almost like a night shift differential for nurses. Yeah.
0: Okay. Right? All
1: right. So that's what they should have done. I don't think the networks did that because it a- honestly uh, commercial airtime during children's programming was limited to 12 minutes per hour. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Which if you think about it, a half hour show of old cartoons was 23, 24 minutes. The other six Sounds minutes about was, right. was ads, right? Yeah. Um, And so in an hour, 47 minutes, an hour right? like you see that kind of bleeding over yeah now it's 18 minutes per half hour of of actual content well we'll get to why um but commercial airtime gets limited this combination absolutely kills local programming hours the MC of whatever the fuck hour was no longer viable commodity to the advertisers in the area so the hosted television hour just completely went away and networks ran national commercials instead So they're pocketing the money. Local guys are getting fucked, right? Okay, yeah. In 1970. But the effect is that people aren't selling as much shit to kids. This is not a bad thing. Now, in 1977, ACT pushed again. Okay. And it was successful again in getting the FTC or... Yeah, the FTC, the Fair Trade Commission, to Mm -hmm. ban ads targeted at children who were too young to understand advertising, as well as to ban sugary... uh, I almost said surgery sugary cereal advertisements. And they'd become quite a powerhouse and they kept winning their fights, the AC. Okay, Okay. cool. And then 1981 came around. There's a fellow named Mark S. Fowler. He was the new chairman of the FCC under Ronald Reagan. And as a conservative Republican, he Mm. spearheaded the end of the Fairness Doctrine and did all that he (sighs) could to dysregulate and deregulate the airwaves. Fuck. I mean... After all, parent groups shouldn't decide what's right for kids and then pressure the government to keep that trust. We need to get government off our backs and let the parents decide based on what corporations make available to them.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, you, you, I mean, you said the quiet part out loud there, but.
1: So did he. Yeah. Um, TV airwaves and radio airwaves for that matter were now dictated by the market and its needs. Regardless of what impact it had on children's health or welfare, that's for the parents to deal with. I mean, decide, I mean, deal with, I mean, purchase. After all, parents <laughs> could regulate as necessary. You don't like it, change the channel. And there is intuitive understanding of that. And I agree with it on so many levels. However, but also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I don't buy a uh, metal shaving cereal, but also I shouldn't have to choose not to buy metal, metal shaving, shaving cereal. cereal. So Captain Kangaroo, children's variety show with with a very loose format that encouraged safety, kindness, and public service, and that would spend a bit of time at the end of every episode encouraging parents to spend some quality time with their children and encourage their creativity, was canceled in 1984. Schoolhouse Rock died off in 1985, a show that essentially supplemented what kids were taught in school, math, grammar, civics. Fowler was quoted as saying, quote, it's too bad Captain Kangaroo is gone, but the government should not be issuing directives about what should be on the air. <laughs> Ed's shoulders just dropped in defeat. <laughs> like...
0: mm. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're dealing with people whose entire ideology is negative, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's not it's not they don't stand for anything. positive it's not it's not a positive identity it is a negative identity right it's it's you know we're we're not socialists we're not exactly we're not going to tell business what they need to do okay well what do you stand for well we stand for the free market which is a really good way of masking a negative identity as a positive one
1: it's also offloading responsibility Well, yeah, which if you are the government, your job is to take care of the commonwealth. Yeah, that's why we hired you, (laughs) Like, because (laughs) I don't want to think about how high a speed bump should be. You're the expert. You hire experts and you get that shit done and I give you money so that I don't have to show up with a shovel at 3 a.m. to help fix the speed bump. Yeah, like and and no shade on speed bump makers. thank you yeah (laughs) but
0: i i need one on my street as a matter of fact
1: yeah yeah like i I also like i'm i'm a history teacher i don't expect other people to teach their kids history that's what i'm there for you know Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah he's fully offloading such a responsibility to the market like any good reaganite would um captain kangaroo himself bob keeshan uh he went off uh he said that (laughs) Such decisions, letting such decisions be made by those with the money who wanted to make the money uh, were inherently exploitative. And that, quote, despite the guarantee of free speech, our children are so precious that the free speech of the child pornographer has to give away, has to give way to allow us to protect children from exploitation. So he's like, there's fucking limits here to your, 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 you know, let the market decide. Yeah. Because the market's a shitty place. Now he might be overflowing it. Yeah, he might be overblowing it, but, you know. But understandably. Yeah. There's other regulations, yes, but his point is still pretty salient there. And when he's seeing the regulations being stripped off, like the zip ties pinging on the top of the hell in the cell under the weight of Mick Foley and the Undertaker, see, there you go. There you go. I could see him thinking what was coming, right? Yeah. Other shows died out too, but you see what's happening. And what filled that vacuum?
2: half-hour cartoons
1: that were advertisements for toys. Yeah. He-Man, the American release of Voltron, Mask, My Little Pony, Transformers, and the actual subject of this whole episode, Yeah, G.I. Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Now, ACT didn't let up, but they didn't win anymore either. In fact, the only victory that ACT had, okay, uh, and again, ACT, by the way, just just as a reminder, is the action for children's television, okay? Yeah. So the only victory that they had was actually, and here's the thing, I'm I'm sympathizing with these people who banned Garbage pale Kids the cartoon. Do you see what you've done, Ronald Reagan? You've made me <laughs> back the people who banned what could have been the greatest cartoon of all time. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, they, <laughs> in, in all honesty, though, they, yeah. they quite rightly saw the rest as programming that blurred the quote, blurred the distinction between the program content and commercial speech. Yeah, that's what they were against. And it's GI Joe that I really want to discuss GI Joe. Okay. Or How Reaganism Caused Reaganism to Fight Against Reaganism in the Most Reaganistic Way Possible. Wait, what? How Reaganism caused Reaganism to fight yeah, against Reaganism no, I, in the I, most Reaganistic I, I, way
0: possible. I heard it. Um mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Okay, here's another way to put it. How the destabilization of home culture, which led to white kids being alone with the TV, led to a cartoon that that pitted militarism against megalomaniacal hypercapitalists, all in an effort to sell toys to kids whose parents were both at work.
0: Okay. And that's where we're going to end this episode. Okay.
1: I just got us there.
0: Made it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) By the skin of your teeth. Oh, boy. I didn't know so, human teeth had skin. Yeah, well, now, I found me, it. Me, that's I not, found it. That's not. Okay. Um so
1: what have you gleaned now that I finally um, finally got to it?
0: Well, the the revelation, well not really, yeah, the revelation to me that um the overwhelming majority of quote unquote latchkey kids mm-hmm. were middle and upper middle class. Suburban white kids, mm-hmm. kind of like hearing it laid bare, yeah, blew my mind for a moment. And then I thought about it, and it was one of those oh shit, I never realized moments. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't know if I would have qualified as a latchkey kid fully. Sure, I, I know. I know I, I was I was at least in a gray area leaning toward it, mm-hmm. um, but I I also know that w- several of my friends who would definitely qualify who like at the time I was like oh yeah no he's, he's he is he is the latchkey kid right right I realized that every one of them I could think of was from a family that was actually better better off than mm-hmm. mine you know had all the toys uh you know to make up for the fact that they had to shuttle between mom and dad's houses right and to make up for the fact that you know mom and dad weren't home in the
1: afternoon they had all the cool ever. snacks too oh yeah oh they yeah. had the fruit yeah. by the foot why oh yeah no they fucking had mom day. and dad weren't home to cook
0: yeah, they had they had the bitchinest food, right? And I know I've I've talked about you know w- one of my friends that it, his place was the one we always wanted to go to on Friday nights to to play D anD D, right?
1: Because his mom, his was mom
0: wasn't going to be home, right? You know, and like, and his mom wasn't home the other four days a week while he was getting home from school because right. then she was working, right? On Friday night, you know, she was out.
1: Got to get away, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean there like, there is it's interesting because I remember the episodes, the very special episodes, or and they weren't even very special episodes, but you know, the youngest kid in the three three child family, because he always had that in the sitcoms, yeah. would bring home a kid who invariably wore just a plain gray t-shirt. Um, and he would come home and he'd have or he'd come over to hang out and he'd have terrible eating habits, or he'd break toys or you know he yeah. would he would scarf down extra food and ask for more and of course mom would give it to him and stuff like that and then it would come out that you know or and then his mom would come pick him up and she just had to stay late at work and then it happened a third and a fourth time and you know it just this is yeah. his reality and he's a latchkey kid and it's like oh how sad and we never yeah. see that kid again um, yeah but like those episodes always cast it in that same way yeah you know and and it's not it was not that no it, I mean all those behaviors might have been there because yeah you know but also two hours or more so you're talking like you get home say it's about three maybe two yeah. thirty depending on if you're uh where when your elementary school gets out right
0: yeah yeah
1: and how close you live but uh I mean shit we had crossing guards like who were kids right yeah, yeah um yeah. and so yeah you get home and two hours is just from three to five yeah. And I mean, I, I had parents who both worked, uh, although my mom's hours were not necessarily like where I was alone Mm -hmm. and my dad would sometimes be home. Like they, they, you know, working class in San Francisco. Um, and so their hours weren't nine to fives, um, necessarily every day of the week, but there were days where I would be left to my own devices and it was understood that you've got this to do and this to do and this to do. And then you snuck TV in where you could. Yeah. You know, you'd short shrift this, and you'd watch more TV or whatever. Yeah, and and you could get you could get bored, you could get snacks, you could go out and play, you could do all kinds of shit, and it was just yeah. it was not deprivation, I guess. Is no, my point. um, but fuck if I didn't watch a lot of after school cartoons. Oh yeah, so which is why I really wanted to take this on because I was fascinating that I was being advertised to by these cartoons and by the ideology that was expressed in these cartoons. Mm-hmm. as a young boy because it was in it was oh. way way skewed toward the boys um and we're gonna get yeah. into that next. Okay. but uh but yeah, yeah the fact that uh that it was not the poor kid with the gray sweatshirt yeah um and it, you know again i wasn't i wasn't poor at that point but mm-hmm. like you know neither were we rich yeah but you know it, it was typically your middle and upper middle class yeah but cool. yeah, just, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just the the, um, you know, not having made that connections, like you say about, you know, intuition being being tricky. Yeah. Hey, no way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Having that having that moment of realization. hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was that was a fun little wrinkle to 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 smooth out in this research. Actually, it's kind of cool. I can believe it. So, what uh what reading are you recommending for people?
0: Um, what I'm going to recommend, uh, this time around, I guess, yeah, well, I'm it's, it's reading. Um, I'm going to very strongly recommend a voice of the whirlwind by Walter John Williams. Okay. Uh, it is a cyberpunk novel, um, which I'm again recommending because that's going to be my next topic. Um, and it is, it is, first off, it's just a really good, it's a well-written kind of a mystery novel. Um and as an example of the genre, I think it's a very strong one. And I'm intentionally steering people away from a particular author <laughs> for reasons. Okay. Um <laughs> but Walter John Williams is is one of the big names in Cyberpunk. Um and uh Voice of the Whirlwind is the second novel in a series. Um, I would like to recommend the first one, but I haven't actually been able to find it anywhere to read it, but voice of the whirlwind. I have read, it's awesome. Pick it up, check it out. Nice. What do you have to recommend?
1: Uh, Brett Harvey is an historian who wrote the fifties, a women's oral history. And it is fantastic. It is interviewing all kinds of women who lived through the 1950s either as children or as mothers or as dating people and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's excellent. Um, it, it, it gets pretty heavy. Um, because I can believe it. <laughs> it's the totality of a woman's experience, mm-hmm. um, but it's a really good read and it gets kind of at some of the stuff I was talking about early on, like the dominant culture and, mm-hmm. and what the values that were placed on women um, and that women also bought into uh, yeah. because a culture is dynamic. It is not merely oppressive. Uh, but yeah, the fifties, uh, by Brett Harvey, it is at least 20 years old. I, I forget exactly, uh, when it came out. Um, but I want to say it was pre 2000. Um, okay. so it's, it's more than 20 years old, but it's, uh, oh, I was wrong. I actually just looked at the back of it. It was 2002. Okay. Um, so it's really good though. So, okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, you got anything you want to plug or anything mm. you want people to find you at? Uh well um
0: of? I no, I really for just me individually I don't uh right now. Uh we of course collectively uh can be found on Twitter at Geek History Time. We can be found online at uh Wubba 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 uh Geek History of Time dot com. And I'm stealing that from Casey O. Davis. because like uh, <laughs> Wubba 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 is easier to say than www. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And of course you're listening to us. So you found us somewhere already, whether it's on the Apple podcast app or on uh, stitcher, wherever it is that you have found us, please subscribe. Please give us the five-star review that, you know, we deserve and please talk us up to your friends and relations. Uh, we'd very much appreciate it. And how about you?
1: See, by the time this drops, I think people will have missed the April 7th show. Um, but hey, go to the April seventh, uh, show at Luna's at uh, eight PM, uh, for Capital Punishment. If this 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 comes after that, then I say go to the May fifth show, uh, at Capital Punishment, and also the June second show at uh, okay. at at Luna's. Both of those, uh, Capital Punishment, the pun tournament that I'm a part of. Okay. Um, we are and we are heading toward our seventh year. Um, Holy it, crap! It's amazing. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> um, my show has lasted longer than the Confederacy. I want my fucking statue. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I want it with a bronze wheel
1: that spins. There you go. Um, like but it. uh, but yeah, uh, come check it out. Ten dollars. Uh, proof of vaccination. Uh, God, I don't know what it's going to be like. We're recording this. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but in late February, so I have yeah. no idea how what variant will be at, but. You know, we'll be giving out masks. Uh, I always ask people to wear masks, but yeah. um, at least bring proof of vaccination, $10, yeah. bring some money for some merch and buy some nachos because art makes good nachos. Makes good other food too. Check it out. Okay. Uh, but yeah, those, and that's that's about it. Um, right. I have hermited up beyond that. So cool. Well, All right. for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony.
0: And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.